Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller and I know what you're thinking, what's going on with the hair, right? So for those of you who've been subscribing for the last year and a half know that I typically have a faux hawk and this week I changed it over to a little more professional look to part my hair and I'll bet some of you will rate it and rank it on LinkedIn and YouTube and based on how that goes, I might go back. So anyway, glad you joined us today. Again, I'm, my name is Scott Miller and I serve as the weekly host and interviewer for what has now become the world's largest leadership newsletter of its kind, which is Franklin Covey's On Leadership Newsletter, emailed to your inbox every Tuesday. And it includes an interview, much like today's, with world-renowned authors, top CEOs, people who've spent a lot of time digging into an issue that can bring great insight and value to in our lives and all the leadership roles that we play. If you're not subscribing, visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab, subscribe yourself, your friends, your family. It's complimentary, comes out every Tuesday around 8 o'clock Eastern time, and it includes this interview both in audio and podcast video format, as well as a downloadable Franklin Covey tool and a blog written by me. Now, some of you may also know that I'm privileged to host not just this podcast for Franklin Covey, but also a radio program on iHeartRadio called Great Life, Great Career. It airs every Saturday in Salt Lake and then ships out as a podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Several weeks ago, I had the amazing honor of interviewing the author of one of my all-time favorite books, Gary Chapman, who wrote this seminal book, The Five Love Languages. If you are in a relationship of any kind, you've got to read The Five Love Languages. I first read this about 13 years ago, and it transformed every dinner party conversation where there were couples of every possible kind where we talked about the concepts that Dr. Chapman popularized in the number one book, The Five Love Languages. And then some time ago, Dr. Chapman collaborated with today's guest, who is Dr. Paul White, who co-authored this book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. In essence, the business application of the seminal book, The Five Love Languages. And today, our guest is Dr. Paul White. Dr. Paul, welcome to On Leadership. Thank you, Scott. I'm glad to join you. Hey, I'm so excited to have you here. The interview with your colleague, Gary Chapman, was arguably my favorite on the radio program. So the stakes are high for you today on leadership. He's a tough act to follow. He is a great communicator. Uh, he was such a gentleman as well. Uh, Dr. Paul, the book is extraordinary. It's why we've invited you on today. We're going to basically take some of the key concepts in um, Gary's first book that you've now co-authored with him. Before we do that, I'd love for you to share with our listeners and our viewers kind of what was your journey to come to be a co-author with Dr. Chapman, and why do you think the book has sold now, I think, almost 400,000 copies, multiple languages why do you think the transition to the workplace was so easy for the reader? Well, I'm a psychologist by training, and uh, I grew up in the context of a family-owned business. And one of the things that I wound up doing is uh, consulting with family-owned businesses, dealing with the family issues that are intertwined with uh, you know, work and business. And it moved into business succession planning, which is a major issue for families uh, and family businesses. And in the midst of that, I had an uh, interesting experience where I was uh, talking to the father slash CEO and asking how the transition was going. And, and uh, he said, you know, it's, it's going well. My son's stepping up. I think it's going to work. I walk across the hall and ask the son the same question. 
And he says, this is a disaster. It's never going to work. I can never please my dad. And uh, at that time, my wife and I were actually reading five love languages, which has been tremendously helpful for us. And I thought, you know, maybe this could uh, apply to work-based relationships. So I actually pursued Dr. Chapman for over a year. He had a wonderful, what I would call a bulldog, uh, but warm Southern administrative assistant who, you know, made it tough to get through to him. But I persevered. We met together, um, talked about the idea, and we actually started by uh, creating what's become the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory, our online assessment. And then I started using uh, that tool along with developing some training materials with small groups and companies. And then he and I wrote the book together. It was published initially in 2011. And then we rewrote it and updated it with new research uh, this January. And yeah, I'm pleased to say it's sold over 400,000 copies now. And um, so it, it's been fun. And he, he is a, a, a gracious man. He's gentle. Uh, in his uh, communication, he's wise, um, and so it's, it's been a great journey for me. Dr. Paul, I think it's a great lesson for all of our leaders in just sort of dog and determinism. The fact is, you didn't know Gary Chapman. You read right. his book, fell in love with the concepts, you had some very complementary expertise in your own career, you chased him for a year, and the two of you collaborated on this new edition, which has sold over 400,000 copies. I think it's a great message and just sort of dogged determinism for anybody kind of go after your dream. Right. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, I'm feel fortunate and pleased. I mean, if I would have written a similar kind of book without uh, tying into the five love languages concept and with uh, Dr. Chapman's, you know, support, you know, I would have sold 2000 copies or something like that. So it's, it's been a real blessing for me. I think I'm going to look around in my studio and figure out who do I want to be a co-author with, and I'm going to go there chase go. him. So, so, Dr. Paul, let's take a couple first minutes and just do a kind of general overview of the five love languages for those last few people that haven't read your colleague's book. I'd like to just take a couple of minutes, maybe one minute on each, if you would be so gracious as to explain each of the love languages. I'll pitch them to you, and then we'll move into the um, really wise and practical application of them in the workplace. So... The first love language is what Dr. Chapman calls words of affirmation. Give us some context for that in, in the context of his book. Yeah, so uh, the words of affirmation are, it's pretty simple and straightforward. They're words that are affirming. They affirm the value of the person. And so in the five love languages, uh, which Dr. Chapman wrote, uh, the application is in personal relationships, whether that's uh, marriage, family, friends, and so forth. Whereas in, in the five languages of appreciation, the context is work-based relationships. Yeah. So each of the languages is the same in name, but they look differently in how they're applied. So it can uh, be you know, a very general in a personal relationship, I love you. We felt like appreciation was probably the most parallel kind of concept in the workplace. And uh, a difference is that um, in the workplace, you really need to be more specific. So just saying, you know, good job doesn't really get it done. We really emphasize to say what you value and appreciate specifically about what that person's done and how it's impacted you in the organization. Thank you, doctor. Uh, the second love language in Dr. Chapman's book is quality time. Give us some context for that. Quality time is um, really focused attention, especially in personal relationships. It's being there with the person. They have your full attention, your, your, maybe sitting across from them, looking at them, 
And a key aspect is not to have any other distractions going on. It's not like you're, you know, flipping through the channels on the TV or looking at your cell phone or, you know, even typing on your computer, that they have that full attention. In the workplace, um, it's both focused attention, but it's also doing things together. Uh, that there's uh, a number of people that, yeah, they'd like to have focused attention from their manager or supervisor, but really, um, especially for younger workers, it's more about peer relationships, that they like to do things together, they like to hang out together. So it's, yes, they're with them, but it's maybe less one-on-one uh, -on -one and more of them small group. Talk about the third love language, receiving gifts. Yeah, receiving gifts uh, is an interesting one in that uh, some research that we've done uh, is that, you know, one thing you sometimes think about is finding out another person's language by watching what they do. That's not necessarily true for gifts. And in, in personal relationships, it's it can be a big gift. It can be a small gift. It really depends on uh, what's important to the recipients, but it needs to be personal and about them. I think one of the things that we've learned uh, I think it's true both in personal relationships and work-based relationships is giving the same gift to everybody is, does not go well. It's, it's, it can be offensive. It looks like you haven't really put any time and thought into it. In the workplace, uh, gifts are not bonuses, raises, but they're just small things that show that you're getting to know the other person, like bringing in their favorite Starbucks coffee or bringing in a magazine about uh, maybe their favorite sports team. Um, and so it's more about knowing who they are rather than the amount of money spent. And love language number four, acts of service. Acts of service um, is a tremendously important one that often gets missed by people because it's sort of behind the scenes, right? I mean, it's not really out front there a lot, but in, in personal relationships, I know Dr. Chapman shares a personal story about that's his wife's uh, primary uh, love language. And so doing things and tasks for her uh, really shows that he cares about her and what's important to her. In the workplace, it's really small acts that help your colleagues' daily life go better. Um, and the context often is they're sort of working on a, a time-oriented uh, kind of project that they have to, to meet. And it's kinds of things that you can do to help make that go better, whether that's, you know, sort of watch calls for them, uh, hold any interruptions, uh, take some smaller tasks so they can keep focused and, and do uh, what they really need to, to focus on right now. And then lastly, in Dr. Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, the fifth love language is physical touch. Obviously, it needs a translation for the corporate you know, space, and you address that in your book, but talk about it in the context of Dr. Chapman's book, Physical Touch. Yeah, so physical touch is, is an important one, and it, it's not the same as sexual touch. It's that uh, connectedness and closeness from sitting together, holding hands, having your arm around them, um, uh, you know, hugs, those kinds of things that create uh, a sense of, of closeness and warmth. And for some people, it's critical. And for others, um, it's not as important. That's true across all the languages. Actually, in the workplace, what we found is that um, physical touch is rarely anybody's primary language, but it happens in the sense of spontaneous celebration. It's, you know, a high five when you uh, complete a project. It's a fist bump when you um, solve a problem, maybe a congratulatory handshake when you uh, make a large sale. And actually, because we work worldwide and across different cultures, we found that a pat on the back is cross-culturally the most acceptable form of appreciation in the workplace uh, through physical touch. 
So Dr. Paul, expand on that a bit because in the book, The Five Love Languages, Dr. Chapman talks about how most people, everyone has their primary love language. And I think one of the insights is that, uh, and I'm married and my wife and we have three children, my love language is uh, definitely words of affirmation. And I think my wife's actually is gifts. And so we have to learn each other's love language because we generally, you write, and even in your book, we tend to you know, show our love language to others the way we like to receive it. Everyone right. kind of has a primary love language. In the workplace, you talk about how it's important for leaders not to naturally show appreciation the way they want it because oftentimes people want it differently. Absolutely, and, and that's sort of a core concept uh, of uh, the book and our materials is that not everybody feels appreciated in the same way. And we intellectually assent to that. I mean, it's sort of like, well, that's no surprise. But if I go and follow somebody around and sort of watch how they communicate appreciation, most of us use the same two or three actions. And it's often in our primary language of appreciation. And so we're sort of treating everybody the same. And what we found, we've had over 200,000 people worldwide take our online assessment. Uh, the motivating by appreciation inventory and we have pretty good data about um who falls where and in the united states and sort of western europe uh words of affirmation is the most common language it's 46 percent of, of the workforce which is a big chunk but it's still less than half of the whole workforce and so um we find that trying to ask people about what their language of appreciation is sort of a weird conversation it's like if i want to show you appreciation what do i do and, you know, people typically will say, I don't know, tell me thanks. And that's about all you get. So you don't get much. And if you observe them and try to find out from watching what they do, first of all, there's not that many data points uh, that you can really see people showing appreciation. But also, um, we've done some research and found out that about 25% of the time, people don't use the language uh, or want the language that they use. And this is especially true with gifts. There are a lot of people who like to give gifts but who don't necessarily value uh, receiving gifts themselves. I think one of my big takeaways in your book was kind of obvious, but I need to be reminded, you know, I, I'm guessing my work love language or my, you know, gifts for appreciation, I like words of affirmation, right? So I'm right there in that 40 plus percent. I love right. nothing more than being called up on the stage by the CEO and being thanked. And I can think of people on my team who would not like that at all. In fact, my wife would be angry she would right. be embarrassed, she'd be irritated, and later she would think that that actually was um, a, not an insult, but like a, a violation of hers. How mm -hmm. important is it for leaders to understand, and without taking the MBA, which we'll get to in a moment, how does just the casual leader understand the way someone wants to be appreciated in their team? Well, it's, it's tough if you don't, you know, have some communication about it. And in fact, that's one of the problems with sort of traditional employee recognition programs where you ask somebody to come up front. Every training and speaking event that I've done, I've asked this question. How many of you would really prefer not to go up in front of a large group to be recognized or, you know, receive some praise? And on average, it's about 40% of the group really does it. Now, it varies from group to group and also sort of, um, position. Administrative right. assistants are higher. They're like 60 to 70%. Librarians are 90%. High-performing salespeople and uh, leaders that way, they're like, where's the TV and camera? Bring it on. And right. so 
the, when they try to uh, create, you know, an appreciation of that or whatever, they're going to lean that way. And they need to understand that a lot of their team members don't really like that. In fact, I had one uh, woman leader tell me she got, you know, employee of the year award and that she spent the 15 to 20 minutes prior to getting the award in the bathroom throwing up. She was so nervous and anxious. Right. right. I think it's very relevant. Dr. Paul, your book is enormously research-based. What are some of the most um, maybe compelling or counterintuitive points you learn about what the research says that leaders can use to help to transform the level of appreciation, the right style appreciation with their team members? Well, I think the, the, the biggest point that I see from the research is that a lot of leaders who maybe aren't as interpersonally oriented think that this is about, you know, making people feel good. And that's maybe a secondary, you know, uh, result, but really showing appreciation in the way that's important to the other person and doing so authentically is shown to have huge business and organizational uh, benefits from reducing tardiness, reducing uh, calling in sick, uh, leaving the company. We know that 79% of the people who leave a job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation as one of the key reasons that they leave. Conversely, most managers and business leaders think that people leave for more money. And we know one survey showed that 12% of employees across a whole number of organizations say, I'm not leaving for money. You know, uh, that um, that's the least uh, reason that I'm going. And so you have that. Also, you have, we have research from Gallup and Bain and Towers Print and Boston Consulting Group that shows that um, when team members feel valued, they're 18% uh, more productive than team members who don't feel valued. And even beyond that, uh, teams that feel valued and, and employees that do, as a group, uh, that company is 22% more profitable, So, which is interesting to me because it's not just productivity, it's other things that don't get in the way, like uh, team members leaving, staff turnover, and also all, all those kinds of conflicts over stupid little things that take up time and energy away from your mission and, and serving your clients. I want to talk a bit about how this applies to virtual remote teams and also kind of the changing demographic in the workplace. But first, would you clarify, what is the difference, if any, between appreciation and recognition? Are, are, they, are they just nuanced or are they the same? No, I think for some people they use them interchangeably, but for us and for, I think, uh, a large part of sort of the, the industry that focuses on this, that recognition is largely uh, about performance. And that's where it came from originally. I mean, it was to set up goals and tasks that you reach, and then you are either rewarded and recognized for that. And, and that's fine and good when it's designed and implemented well and consistently. But we really believe appreciation is more than that. They, they overlap, but we believe that appreciation is about valuing the person. And we have a belief that people have value beyond producing things. I mean, we're Yes, we're workers, we need to get things done, but we're not just production units um, and just sort of cranking out the work because we're people. We have lives outside of work that affects our daily life, whether that's somebody that's uh, ill in the family, we have moods, we have abilities that aren't directly related to performance. And so we believe that there are ways to bring attention uh, and appreciation to people separate from performance, because one of the problems with performance-based recognition is that it tends to only 
hit the top 10 to 15% of your workforce, and it's usually the same people. So then you have a big middle group of 50 to 60% of good people. They're showing up, they're trying hard, but they're not your stars. If they don't get recognized, they don't hear anything, which then means they're at risk for leaving. And so we think that recognition and appreciation can go together um, and that you can ap appreciate something that's not directly related to performance. For example, I like to work with cheerful people more than grumpy people. You know, it doesn't necessarily show up on their, uh, you know, performance stats, but it's like, hey, I really value and, you know, can say, hey, Stephanie, yeah, I love to hear your laugh. It just sort of lights up the room and your smile. And so it's about uh, that part of the person, or it can even be a characteristic outside of work where let's say, David, man, I'm just impressed with uh, how committed you are to training for, you know, that ha half marathon and having that discipline to do that. I, you know, I don't have that. And I think that's cool. Or to one of your team members, who's maybe a single mom who says, you can say, you know, uh, Janice, you know, I'm just super impressed about how committed you are to your kids and your family and how you just are there for them and still do your work. But, you know, I just see how you, you really serve them. Is that about work? No. Is it about her as a person? Yes. Is communicate value? Yes. Is it going to benefit in creating uh, a sense of connectedness and loyalty? Absolutely. So that's really the difference for us, that it's not just about performance, but it's about the whole person. I'm glad you shared those examples because I think one of the values of the book, again, for me, was some of those specific um, kind of dialogue tracks. Because as you talked about showing appreciation with words of affirmation, you gave some very specific examples and they really resonate with me about being very particular about what it is you appreciate in that person. Let's talk about the role that appreciation plays in, in retention, right? I mean, everybody right now is receiving, you know, pings and inquiries from recruiters. Unemployment's in 3%, at least in, in the U.S. it is, in North America. The war for talent has never been stronger, at least in my generation. And I think it's also never been more precarious because as remote and virtual teams become less the exception and more the norm, we find even at Franklin Covey, where we have the majority of our associates who are home-based because they're client-facing, it gets lonely. And we find that when people do leave our company, which is rare, fortunately, but when a high performer does leave, they often report that it was just kind of lonely and they wanted to be part of a team. And they weren't really running from us they were just going to a new opportunity where they could feel more connected. What advice would you give leaders and managers and associates as they have teams that are increasingly remote and virtual, or perhaps the majority of their team is moving that way? How do you make sure that those members feel appreciated in the right language as well? Mm -hmm. Well, this past year, we uh, actually conducted and published research about remote employees and how they are the same or different than face-to-face -face employees and how they want to be shown appreciation. And it was interesting to note that largely the patterns of frequencies of the languages, words being top, time being second, access is third, and then uh, gifts fourth. We don't assess physical touch because it's less than 1% of the population. But it's generally the same pattern, except for quality time really does move up from remote employees. And in following that up with some interviews and other kinds of research, we found that one of the things that uh, remote employees really value is connecting by video. That, yeah, you know, a lot of the work's done by email and phone, but there is clearly a more personal connection uh, when you have that face-to-face -face kind of uh, interaction. But the other part of it is, is that if you think about in a, um, an office setting where people work together in the same 
location that um, there's a lot of informal interaction just through walking by their office, coming in in the morning, uh, maybe going to the break room or over lunch and you run into people and you chat and you say, you know, what'd you think about the game last night? Or, you know, how was your weekend? Whereas with remote employees, those opportunities really aren't there. I mean, you don't, you know, walk by their office. And so one of the things we found to be successful in connecting with remote employees is to be intentional about having uh, some personal interactions. Because if you don't, the way that most remote communication happens, it tends to sort of diminish down to just about tasks and work and getting things done, which then makes them feel like what? Just a producer, uh, you know? And so whether that's getting on the phone uh, or, you know, video conference ahead of time of the team meeting and chatting a little bit or afterwards, or just setting up a time to chat, it's really important. Otherwise, it, it creates a very cool kind of relationship. Dr. Paula, that's a great timely reminder for me. Literally, when I walk off set with you, I have my weekly one-on-one -on -one meeting with a colleague of mine. Her name is Meg, a very accomplished uh, and our head writer for Franklin Covey. She lives in Virginia. I'm in Salt Lake. And I, I typically, we hold that via Zoom, right, a video conferencing. I was, I was tempted today to go off set and just call Meg on the phone and, and have her one-on-one, -on -one, 30 minutes in the car, on the way to my next lunch appointment. But you remind me that that video piece is important. I need to be careful not to be efficient with my appreciation and my conversations. And be more effective, right? Is I'll stay here at headquarters now, and I'll take Meg's one-on-one -on -one via Zoom, which is her preference, because you've reminded me that that video connection is probably vital, especially for remote employees. Yeah, and Scott, you raise an important uh, point that the number one reason that people give why they think appreciation isn't communicated more is busyness. We're all busy, right? But uh, and in designing our process, as a psychologist, I'm supposed to be sort of an expert in you know behavior change, both for individuals and groups. And so we had to think about that. And fortunately, we've come to be able to help people not create another to-do list. Nobody needs another one. You got at least two and you don't need a recognition or appreciation one, but to be able to teach them how to do what they're already doing or almost doing and be effective, just like you said, because we don't want people to send emails to everybody, go check in and spend time with everybody, send a gift, access service. It's a waste of time and energy. And it also can actually have a negative effect because it's, you don't know who they are. And so part of our, success, I believe, is that we help people identify the specific language and actions that are important to the other person, whether it's a colleague or your supervisor. In the inventory, we identify not only people's primary language and their secondary language, but a key part that we learned was to identify the specific actions within their primary language that are important to them and from whom they want them. Because some people, and this is true for younger employees, they like to hang out together, maybe get together and watch a sporting event, well, they're not going to often invite their supervisor. And so you can specify that and be able to hit the mark versus sort of do the shotgun approach with a lot of waste of time and energy. Have you found in your research and your speaking and writing that the you know, generational tsunami that's happening in the workplace with traditionalists and baby boomers clearly starting to move towards retirement and the, the Gen X and Gen Y millennials, I think millennials now are the largest percentage of the workforce, are you finding any shifts in 
the style of appreciation of millennials from say boomers or Gen X? Yeah, not so much uh, in the overall language distribution. We did a research study uh, comparing uh, millennials with other um, generations last year and published that. And again, the general pattern was the same except for quality time raised a little bit, but more importantly was sort of the specifics. One of the major differences is that in past generations, uh, the manager direct report relationship was really important. And people, you know, there was a saying, people don't leave a job, they leave a, you know, a manager. That's less true than it used to be because if a younger employee uh, gets along well with their colleagues and peers, they can endure some tension with their manager uh, because it's really that collegial aspect uh, that's more important. And so I tell leaders, if they look at their team members uh, results of the inventory and see quality time, don't panic because it may not be about you. <laughs> that they don't necessarily want time with you, that they want to hang out with their friends. So that's uh, one key difference. The other is that, um, you know, in the olden days, uh, the highest form of sort of uh, communicating thanks was a handwritten thank you note. And that's still true for some, but we find that for younger employees, that's less true. And especially 20 something guys, they don't really give a rip about a handwritten note. What is important to them is the speed in which you get back to them. If they've done something that you value and you want to you know, show appreciation for it, you really need to get back to them in, within 24 or 48 hours, or you've moved into the realm of history from their perspective. And so uh, to be effective, it's you know, maybe shooting them a text or an email or even you know, calling them up, um, but doing it more rapidly than taking time to go get a note, write it, you know, send it, and so forth. It's interesting you say that. Prior to my career here at the Franklin Covey Company, which has been 23 years, I worked for the Disney Development Company in Orlando, the real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. And one of my leaders was a vice president named Charles Adams. And I really looked up to Charles, and he's gone on to have a great career. I follow him on LinkedIn. And I remember I was involved in a, an especially political meeting with a local government group that I'd helped to organize and uh, brought in some county commissioners and school board members. And it was about, you know, getting um, some collaboration between Disney and the local zoning commissions and such. And on the way home from the high stakes meeting, Charles, who I didn't even think had my mobile phone number, left me like this two or three mess minute message uh, enumerating all the things that I had done right in the meeting, the, the gratitude that he'd shown for me. And I missed the call, but I remember this was 25 years ago. I still remember receiving that voicemail from Charles Adams, feeling so validated, feeling so appreciated that he would have found my phone number, taken the time to call me. I didn't take the call, I missed it. But to leave me like this two or three minute voicemail, here I am with you 25 plus years later, viscerally remembering it kind of proves your point. Back then I was a 20 year old, you know, young male worker and it was enormously validating. Absolutely. And one of the cool things that we've found and learned is that it doesn't take much to really encourage people if it's the right action and also communicating very specifically what you appreciate them for. And hopefully it's something that's important to them. A miss that can happen is that you can uh, appreciate them for, you know, let's say getting the project done versus to them, the cool part was the creativity. So you have to, you know, sort of understand what's important to them in the task, but whether it's uh, you know just stopping by and checking in, giving them a little bit of help to finish a project, you know their their favorite coffee or snack or a, a word of encouragement, 
just a little action can really have a, a lot of significant and long-lasting impact. Amen. Uh, Dr. Paul, I'm guessing one of the reasons why it's important for leaders to understand, you know, kind of what is their love language, what, what is their appreciation language is because we tend to then demonstrate that with others. Talk a bit about the value of what you and Dr. Chapman have developed. You call it the MBA. It's a different type of MBA. Talk about how people can take that and what they'll learn from that. Yeah, so it, it um, is an online assessment. It takes about 15 minutes to take, and it creates an individualized report of how you like to be shown appreciation, your primary language of appreciation, your secondary, your least valued language, which is sort of your blind spot. It's the thing you don't think about much, the language, and so you don't do it naturally, but you're gonna have team members around you that have that and value it. So it's important to, to specify that as well as the specific actions. And then we've also created the opportunity, you know, a lot of, uh, that um, you get a code to take the inventory with the book, but a lot of people don't wanna read the book. That's fine. And so um, we've created where you can buy groups of codes for your team and actually have created different versions for remote employees, for medical uh, settings, government, um, schools, uh, and uh, let's see, military, and because the actions differ for each uh, language in those settings. And then recently we created an expanded version that also identifies the actions that people really don't want. And they, in each language, they can tell you one or two things that they absolutely don't want you to do so that you can avoid, you know, sort of making the negative uh, impact that you don't want to when you're trying to do something right. And we also can compare uh, people's results to um, their, um, uh, the general population. Since we have 200,000 people in our database, we can do that. And, and because it's interesting to find out how you're the same or different than others. Your MBA assessment in the book is called, you know, uh, MBA Motivation by Appreciation. I would encourage people to read the book. There's a reason why it sold 400,000 copies. Buy the book and you get the code. And I think it will become a transformative tool that you can use on your teams and your leadership style. Dr. Paul, as we finish up, tell us kind of what's next for you. How can people engage with you? What's kind of on the horizon for you? So, um, I've been asked about writing other books and one book that's important to know, it's called The Vibrant Workplace and it's a follow-up to the five languages and it's uh, based around the 10 most common obstacles in trying to create a uh, culture of appreciation and how to deal with those, whether that's negativity, busyness, management's not interested, difficult to appreciate employees. So that's an important resource and we have training resources and online train trainer course that help uh, leaders and groups apply this really where we're at, Scott, is that we're just helping continue to get the word out because when people find out about it and and um, use our resources, they like it and they tell more. And so we're continuing to uh, explore into other um, industries. We're uh, into law enforcement and long-term health care. Um, and then, you know, the book is in 18 languages. Our training resources and assessment are in about six or seven, Spanish, French, Chinese, some European languages. So we're just trying to continue to get the word out and, and help empower people too. Dr. Paul White, great discussion. Congrats on your well-earned success with the book. Uh, the book is exceptional. I think people should pick it up because it really helps you to challenge some of your maybe entrenched paradigms around recognition and appreciation, the way you like your career to be, you know, 
uh, appreciated versus how your team members do. And I love your opening statement around how you came to write the book. I mean, obviously you are a you know, academically accomplished professional. You can write, you can speak, but you fell so in love with someone else's book and you were so doggedly passionate that you pursued them for a year, collaborated, wrote a new workplace edition, and now have sold 400,000 copies, have a super relevant cottage business. It's inspiring to me to say, maybe I'll call up Tim Ferriss or Seth Godin or someone and say, I want to write a new version. I really like that piece. Thanks for sharing that with us. You bet. Thanks so much for your interest and support, Scott. I really appreciate it. Glad you joined us, Dr. Paul White. And thanks for joining us on Leadership. We'll see you back here next week with a fresh interview from someone else you're going to love next week's episode. If you've not registered, get on to franklincovey.com. Click on On Leadership. Subscribe. All your friends, your family, we won't spam you, email you. Once a week, every Tuesday morning via email, will come out the next interview. You can also consume it on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We'll see you back next week for Franklin Covey's On Leadership.